Empire of the Sun. Suns. Empire of the Suns. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast. Empire of the Suns. Hello there, and welcome to the Empire of the Suns podcast. My name is Kellen Olson, joined as always by Kevin Zimmerman. Panic edition, the Suns have lost four of six. Their season is in jeopardy, Kevin. Oh, no! Can we start this with a health update for you, sir? You're you're ready for this playoff I'm, I'm, run? I'm very ready, yeah. You guys are going to be able to notice that both of us, allergy season here in Arizona, I'm sure there are many local listeners that we have. It's been rough the past couple of weeks. We always talk about it at this time of year anyway, but yeah, we're, we're on the nasal spray, we're on... Allegra, we're we're getting things done here to be to be manageable enough as human beings. We, we are joking, of course, <laughs> about Panic Edition. The Suns have lost four of six to end the regular season. That means absolutely nothing because they have been resting a lot of their guys. And then even in the game last night, the regular season finale against Sacramento, guys like Cam Johnson, JaVale McGee, even Torrey Craig aren't even out there for crunch time. Like the game is on the line, and and they they just wanted Ife and and Ish and those types of guys to get that type of experience, which is great. And what you want to do and reward guys, even someone like Ife who's been here for two weeks, he's been busting his butt in all those practices. He deserves to play in that type of game when it doesn't really matter, and fans will be like, "Oh, sixty five is better than sixty four. Like, <laughs> we're we're getting rather picky. We're getting rather picky, greedy, even. So the end of the regular season is here. There are many different ways we can approach today's episode. We're not really going to look back on the regular season as much because I think that it's this whole regular season. We came into this season. You and I talked about it going into the regular season. I picked them to win the championship, I believe, I want to say, in the, in the uh, end. I might have picked Brooklyn against them, but it was it was something like that. It was like a toss-up, essentially. Like We both picked them to win the West pretty comfortably. We thought they yeah. were the best team in the West, so... The regular season doesn't really matter a whole ton in terms of retrospective right now, so we're not going to really get into that. We will once their season ends, and we'll we'll go from there. But it it all comes down to what happens in the playoffs right now, and we'll find out in a bit. But for now, we have to wait for that playoff opportunity for the Suns to come because the playing tournament is going on. We're recording this on a Monday. On Tuesday and Wednesday, the first round of the playing tournament will come. The Suns will not know who they play until about 9 p.m. local time on Friday night, probably uh, definitely less than 48 hours before they play on Sunday. I don't think they're going to have a 9 p.m. tip-off no. or, or a 10 o'clock tip-off. They might have a late one, though, because it's the only West Coast game on that slate. So if you're, if you're prepping your Sundays and you look at the uh, look at the card that they put out, the three other games on that day are on the East Coast. I had a lot of people tweeting me, and like that's the kind of thing where I can't say to you confidently, but I would say plan for a late game if, if you had to plan for one. 3 p.m. earliest? I don't even know what the other games are, but... They're, yeah, they're going to get prime time, go to bed, get your week going by watching the Suns spot. Indeed. We don't want to entirely run past the last week, though, before we kind of get to the plan again. We had a Q&A episode last week where we ran through the playoff picture and these four teams we talked about a bit already. Uh, I wrote a really big preview on the site that went up today about the four playing teams as well. We'll get into that. But again, we want to go back to last week and what we had happen, which was the biggest news was the Suns waived Frank Kaminsky uh, and they signed Ish Wainwright to a deal, a standard contract that will allow him to be on the playoff roster. 
from what uh, David has gotten, our Australian correspondent, what he's been able to dig up is that it's it's just a end-of-the-season deal, veterans men, typical deal. They are going to have his restricted rights, though, because this is his first deal. So with that in mind, this was, uh, I guess for me to start, Kevin, it was it was mildly surprising, a little bit surprising, just because Frank is so tight with everyone, and he's a really core part of this team. And to us, from our observation, it seemed like the obvious guy to, to cut in this situation would have been Alfred Payton. They, they did not choose to go that route, and we can talk about why. Um, but I think the thing that you and I agreed upon was – People are looking at this and talking about the playoff roster, playoff roster, playoff roster. Ish could be a guy that matters for them next season. He yeah. could be, Kevin. I mean, you got hints when Alfred was playing important minutes down the stretch, you know, air quotes around importance maybe, that he's a ball handler, which is kind of important, regardless of how well he's fit and played. Um, he can defend like even smaller wings, which I thought was kind of how they've used him and, and somewhat important, even though if you're playing him off the ball, it's funky offensively. Um, but honestly, it came down to live, healthy body versus guy who's still trying to get back. And I, I, even if he's at full, full go right now, I'm not going to get much run at the start of the playoffs. So how much does that help you if he were called upon late in the season? And, and to me, um, going to ish like especially when you see how he started hitting those corner threes and that really kind of opens up his value but future seasons we talked and mentioned how do they move around money in the future when contracts start locking in da if he gets um that big deal mikel's deal kicks in cam johnson gonna get paid um ish kind of looks like your jay crowder replacement straight up i mean that's kind of the role that he plays um has looked like a great fit knows what he's doing and all that so i think there's a lot of reasons all this makes sense i think it does man uh frank that's it's just really terrible because if he's for him because yeah. if he's healthy he's on the I mean, roster and he talk, might be playing yeah. if he's healthy to talk on frank just a bit more like that's a guy who basically was not brought back last season and then they get a second go when the Kings sign him and then wave him before the year begins. Um, so they've kind of weirdly rejected him twice now, even though he's obviously been super committed to this team and a, a, an awesome fit. So that's, I mean, when you talk about a team having good culture, I, I can't imagine many other teams having that situation for a guy who's at the end of the bench who just keeps getting cut and brought back and stuff like that. Like it happens in football, I guess, more. Um, maybe then in basketball, but it's it's definitely a sign of like just how tight knit this team is, and they're tight knit beyond the current roster right now. Yeah, but, yeah listeners will remember I, I like read the whole quote on this podcast back in November how he was talking about Frank was talking about how Monty told him last year you're too good to be waived in this situation you're too good not to make an NBA roster essentially and it just changed his mindset completely he played better last year he earns the right to get re-signed this year and then he told us that he had other options to go with last year so that's me I, I just hope 
I want to remain optimistic that what he showed last year and at the beginning of this year is going to garner him interest from other teams because he absolutely deserves to be on NBA roster and things are about to get very complicated for the Suns in terms of roster spots and who they can bring in but they're also going to be pretty that can go the other way too where bringing in Frank on a minimum is something that they can afford to do and one of the few things that they can afford to do so I would not be shocked if he was back at all but I'm just kind of looking through when I was tweeting about this guy earlier in the year, remember that New Orleans game where he was legitimately good on both ends of the court? He played really good defense in that game, and then, of course, he had that career-high 30-plus game a week later. He's playing the best basketball of his life, and then he has, of his NBA career, in my opinion, I mean, you can look back on Charlotte years, and I'm sure find a point where he averaged around these points per game for six weeks or whatever, but that's on like middling Charlotte teams. He was contributing to the best team in the league and playing his best basketball on that team. I mean, how many, he only played what, like nine or 13 games or something, small number, but there was like a legitimate jump in his play this year where it was, oh, he has the strength. He's not missing bunnies in the paint. If he has it over a smaller guy, he's going to make it and not get pushed off his spot. Um, the defense, like you said, like he was not just having trouble with bigger centers. He actually looked like he had caught up, like from a physical perspective, even though he's years in the league. So yeah, I mean, and I mean, something we've learned too is that even when guys are in their mid to late twenties or early thirties, strength and conditioning is at this point now where if you really, really focus on improving your lateral movement and stuff like that, you can get faster in that regard. And he definitely got a step faster than last year. Like he clearly had worked on it and he had told us that he had worked on it. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just credit to him. And it's it's interesting to like watch players over, you know, just three seasons where we used to just have so much roster turnover here. It's hard to put that together other than guys like Book. But uh, appreciating role players who are on the outside of rotations who like make market improvements, I think, is is fun to watch. But yeah, we'll see what happens with him. Yeah, I just hope that he didn't because I, I think what would have happened is if he would have stayed healthy and kept playing for this team in spot situations, they probably never bring in Biombo. He's probably the version of Biombo right now, which is changing games, fan favorite, all that kind of stuff. He already was a fan favorite here, and he probably gets like an MLE or something similar from a team, at least. And that's where I just like get bummed out because it was just it was just an injury for him and he should get it's not that it's I want to always see guys get paid, but I especially want to see guys get paid when they clearly put in the work and clearly had like a mindset change. And he said he definitely did have one. So shouts out to him because it's it like you said, it is really fun to watch guys over two, three, four years in that kind of stage of their career. A la campaign improve. A la wish Rainwright, Kevin, yeah. who was in training camp for the Buffalo Bills four years ago, <laughs> who was catching touchdowns for the Baylor not, football team five years Josh ago. And I don't even know who was the quarterback of the Bills then. Was it like our boy Ryan Fitzpatrick? Who knows? He joked that he had no shout outs for the Bills because he's a Chiefs fan. Uh, oh. But then he did say shout out Josh Allen. That's my boy. So okay. I'm sure they got to know each other over that week or two. He was with them. I'm not sure how long he was there for, actually, uh, in their training camp. But regardless... Like you were talking about. I have zero concept of the Buffalo Bills quarterback <laughs> situation, as you can tell. Continue. Me neither. Uh, like like you were saying with Ish, and like we've talked about on here before, are there shortcomings? Yes. Um, has he shown enough to where he could be an average to below average three-point shooter who makes up for it by being dunker spot cutter .5 guy? He has shown more than enough in the last 
three months in terms of his .5 decision-making that he can be a part of this team. That's the number one thing. If you're going to be a wing on this team, like you and I talked about when Jay Crowder got signed, I went through the Miami clips in the finals, and I was like, oh, <laughs> this is the highest level of basketball, and he's doing the .5 stuff now. Like He'll, he'll fit like a glove. Yeah. It'll be fine. And we always talk about that with every wing that they bring in. Torrey Craig, when they brought him in, it was the same thing. You look through, like, okay, like assist numbers, whatever. Like, let's see the assist. Is he doing it quickly? And it's like, yep, mm-hmm. he's doing it quickly. And the same thing with Ish. It's, it's there. It's not at those guys' level, but it's there at the level we're talking about, which is at the end of the bench of the team. And then as a defender... He told us he's had multiple. He had multiple moments in his first couple of weeks when he was getting playing time, where like guys like Jamichael Green are telling him like, and, and um, I think it was Rudy Gay. He said who was like, "God dang, dude! Like you're you're a strong dude." <laughs> yeah, and, and he's he's got some real physicality to him, and I think that's something that this team has been. I don't know if lacking necessarily, but you always talked about your desire for more high end athleticism on this team. He's not quite like an absolute freak athlete, but you look at the speed and strength combination, there are a few guys on the roster like him in that regard. And again, you hold his restricted rights, you bring him back for a veteran minimum, or if you want to really reward him and it gets to something like what Javon Carter got before, this is a guy you can bring back and you've got your fourth wing sorted. If Torrey Craig's too expensive for you at the five mil guarantee, there is absolutely a team that will take him, especially for what he's going to show in the playoffs this year again, that he can be a team's third wing. If things kind of get hairy in those types of situations, he can he can come in and you can bring him for sure. It was the right move for them to do. I think they should have let go of Alfred personally. I think that Frank just earned the right to be here, but this is a this is a business. They traded Javon Carter, they traded Kelly Oubre, they traded Ricky Rubio. That's why guys always say this is a business at the end of the day because of decisions like that. Yeah, and I'm sure the front office, I mean, that's why I imagine it was easy because it's just like, the the health thing just makes you make that call even if it's alfred's like a kind of weird fit it's like this this guy's also sacrificed and, and put his body on the line all year and is available and we know where he's at right now and, and frank i'm not sure you could say that let's briefly go into the playoff rotation here uh, and kind of re-update from about a, the last two weeks if there's anything for us to learn for. I did see during a couple of games when Shamit was checking in for Bridges around like the three, two, three minute mark, which was a semi-new thing that they were doing. And I was like, okay, interesting. Jotting that down, learning that for next time because obviously the cams come in first. And then from there, it depends on how DeAndre's gas tank is, what money it's always feel for him when it comes to the center rotation. But then those last two spots, if there are, for Craig and Sham, it just really comes down to when. And it was like Sham, it was ahead of Craig. And that is, I was like, okay, interesting. Okay, we'll jot that down for later. Uh, David had a great stat. Torrey Craig's first 13 games with Phoenix, 8 of 43 from 3. Torrey Craig's last 13 games with Phoenix, 21 of 45 from 3. Oh. And that was something that I told people who were, when he was like 4 of 19 in his first couple of games, uh, people were replying to me. I was like, relax. He's, yeah. This is, a, you just, you see this with Jay Crowder every year. This He's the same kind of shooter. <laughs> it's going to go up. It's going to go down. It's going to be fine. I'm with you where he has been slightly less impactful than last year, if I had to say. And with Shamit. I'm a big shrug, buddy. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on those last two spots heading into this time? We should mention, and we'll get to this in a second after we talk about those two guys, but campaign, right knee soreness has missed the last two games. We assume, we assume, Kevin, knocking on everything here for our friend campaign, that everything's good and he's going to be ready for the playoffs. 
did not see him out for his usual warm-up before the game on Sunday, which I believe he would be doing if his knee was a little bit better than it was right now. So it's clearly a fully laying off of it type of situation, whatever you want to read into about that. But first, Shaman and Craig, what do you think? Anything you've gained from the last couple of weeks that factors in the playoffs? No, I don't think... I think they fall into that bucket of like Monty trusts them and it's more a matter of how many he wants to go deep and matchups. So we'll get into the possible matchups, but to me, I think it just matters that Landry Shamit looked good at the end of the season. Like he's not going in in a funk. Um, Tory Craig still getting run. I, I think he's a guy where it doesn't even matter what he's looking like going in. Um, I think you can trust he's going to bring the energy and that just comes up in games different ways and you never really know how he impacts it. So I think the numbers don't really matter. How he looks doesn't matter because he's, again, trusted by Monty. Um, But yeah, it's like building out, okay, you get the five starters, Cam Johnson, six man. I I think they're going to be deep. And we kind of talked about this a little bit ago. No matter who they play in the first round, I think they're going to try to get their bench guys going because they know that that's one of their strengths. And if I honestly see is like the JaVale pickup was we need to go deeper, longer. Like they cut down the rotation to what seven eight guys maybe eight in the finals barely and but it was when dario and frank were in for two minutes you're like oh crap deandre needs to come in like right now the game is changing right now and that's what you're talking about so i i I think they're gonna rely on the bench so i wouldn't yeah rotations might change but i think they're gonna use nine ten guys off the bat here i i agree i don't know when i i wrote about this last night shaman scores a season high 27 as we have learned in the uh, annals of Suns history, Kev, the last game doesn't matter much in terms of production. If you look across the league, there was some crazy stuff going on. I think the Nasus scored 27 yeah. for Milwaukee. My boy Austin Reeves, Reeve Hives staying strong, 30-point <laughs> triple-double or whatever he had. Shamit still scores the season at 27, and for him, I think the rhythm of that and just getting that type of game under his belt, even a week Uh, before he's going to play in the playoffs matters for him but that is going to be the really interesting decision for Monty and the most polarizing decision that he has to make in the first two rounds because in terms of what we can observe I guess I'll put it that way because we're not going to go deep 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 into the X's and O's here and look at like the strategic decisions that he has but the rotation decision that he has in the first round maybe if Shamit plays well enough going into the second round is how long he keeps him out there for if the struggles come. I'm still going to give him the if. I don't think he has earned the if because he has just proven the struggles are always going to come at this point. It's been 82 games, Kevin, but I'll still give him the if. He could just have a great postseason and not really be an issue for them. But with that in mind, I say issue because he is the one guy on the offense. Look, when Torrey Craig is struggling shooting the ball, they're still they're still going, Kev. Yeah. He's still letting them fly. He's not hesitating at all. Shamit hesitates. And and that is something he Monty talked about ten, fifteen games in the year before we really got to know Shamit to the level we do now, where he was saying all of our coaches' players are just telling him to shoot. And that we talked about this on this podcast, and I said, Uh oh, <laughs> when we heard that. The shooter, yeah. Cause that indicated that the shooter is having has confidence issues at times, and now we've seen over the course of the full season those do pop up from time to time for him. How much of a leash do you think that he deserves in in this type of um, environment? 
because the Suns will get into it. They're going to beat whoever they play in the first round unless something goes catastrophically wrong. So I, it's yeah, you I, can afford to give him a longer leash in these situations, especially when they're going to be staggering. We assume they're going to be staggering Chris Paul and Devin Booker again, which they pretty much haven't done all year. couple layers to it, and it's, okay, context. When would I just yank him? Like, I, I agree with Monty Williams. He, he sticks with guys because when you have a short leash to start off with like that's just going to tank his confidence more your favorite example was that campaign game like 15 games in the year when he and let him just close let it him, like oh you yeah. had three turnovers in a row and then he like later that game he just went off and yeah um yeah, and he kept he kept him in for the fourth quarter and put yeah. chris on the bench yeah um but okay so if they're in the conference finals they're in game four or five and it's a tough series yeah pull him um but if you're up in a series, I think no. There is the interesting part, and tell me if this is crazy talk, but you have Aaron Holiday, and presuming campaign is healthy, if Shamit's just not hitting, doesn't look confident, and you can get away based on the matchup of playing like campaign and Aaron Holiday, or you stagger where Book's on with Aaron Halt, like maybe Aaron Holiday does the shooting off ball stuff more than he did because he he started doing that when he joined the sun so i'm just saying there's an option there your question is if he's earned the kaminsky look basically which is when dario is inconsistent and they just threw kaminsky in there occasionally in the first two or three rounds before dario got hurt and then that's a question about aaron holiday but i'm saying they have options which is why this roster was built that way and you burned dario's exception to get aaron holiday and Aaron Holiday might not play ever if campaign and Chris Paul are healthy. So that's why you have Aaron Holiday. I think that he is. I think Holiday's play from what we've seen in person, I emphasize that, has earned the right. I don't know what's going on to get Alfred Payton to take his spot again over the last two and a half weeks. But again, I always say they know more than us. Just yeah. believe believe in this in this uh, organization. And that's the trust thing, too. What if yeah. Lonnie's trust in Alfred makes him that third guard everyone's pissed and he wins him again? Like, I don't know. That's why Monty's doing his job. To further that conversation on just, by the way, Craig, he's he's going to play, we assume, like right away. Like, Probably. He, he's going to play a bit. And then if they get Clippers round one, he might play a lot. Yeah. They might they might just not really he's play the best Jamel that Paul much. Paul George matchup, probably. Sneaky great thing about the Biombo pickup, Kevin, is that it it showed how great JaVale McGee is about sitting if he has to. So if this turns into a Tory Craig is basically going to be our backup five for parts of this series, JaVale is more than proven that he's going to be okay with sitting as much as a player can be okay with sitting. And then Monty has also established that trust with him in the regular season already. So it's not like JaVale for 82 games was the backup center, never got pulled in games, whatever, never got uh, looked at for Biombo in the second half of a game like he has so many times. He's already established that trust with him so they can turn to Craig in those situations if they need to. I mean, there are some there are some matchups in here that are kind of interesting where they could look to do that for sure. But the, with the way they've emphasized playing through size, I would be surprised if it happened in any situation, including against the Clippers. But we'll see. We'll see. The, the stagger will definitely help with McGee as well because I think that one of the things I've talked about on here that is – if I had to make a list of the five weaknesses of this team, one of them would be the second unit playing through McGee too much. It's just like 12 seconds is left. Come here, JaVale. And then he <laughs> has the ball 14 feet out and dribbles. And it's he can score in those situations. I don't think people give him enough credit for 
how much his offensive skill has actually helped that group at times because no one else is going to do anything. So, like, <laughs> he's got to do it. And, and their reliance on him there has not been good. But, again, the stagger should help with that. To the Elford and Aaron Holiday situation, I really do think there's something to what you've been talking about with Elford defensively because I think that you look at what Mikel does – that's kind of what Alfred does too. Like he can scale up or scale down if he kind of needs to. He can guard smaller players. He can guard players a couple inches taller than him. Like if he needs to, I think Tory Craig existing doesn't make this happen. But if there's a situation where Alfred Payton needs to guard Paul George, he he can do that yeah. for a couple of minutes. And that's obviously not what Aaron Holiday can do. And then you look at a team like New Orleans, for example, that starts CJ McCollum and plays big overall. That's where you look at a matchup for Holiday and just wonder where it really is. It's Alvarado off the bench probably, but with that in mind, there are certain situations where the size really does matter, but I do believe that if Shamit, let's just say games one through three of the first round, Shamit just doesn't have it, and we're seeing 11 minutes, one shot attempt. We're seeing that stuff. Holiday should get out there by the end of the yeah. series. I think that He'll shoot. he should get out there, and he will shoot, and that's the thing is, especially... If they're in a game where it's late second, it's like mid third quarter, the game's tied for some reason. The guys don't really have like great energy or flow for whatever reason. Then you stick Aaron Holiday in there and he's spark plug. Can I call this? Can I make a rule name now where Mm -hmm. I'm calling it the Darius Garland rule? Yeah. And that's, um, I didn't watch very much Darius Garland in college because he didn't play very many games, hurt his foot. But I was like, I think this guy's legit a top five pick because. Like he's been on every team USA under 15, under 16. (laughs) And at some point it's like, all right, if coaches like a guy, you should trust the coaches. Yes. And so that's my Darius Garland rule. The coaches do things for reasons that you might not know. I like that rule. Um, I'm trying to think of another example, but yeah, that's kind of my, yeah, trust coaches. I'm just thinking about the Tori Lovello examples and that makes my head want to explode. Not a cross-sport analogy. We will say that. It only applies to basketball. Tom Thibodeau is taking crap. He's taking crap on this podcast, but he played Alfred Payton on the playoff team for the Knicks quite a bit. Like, So there must be some defensive juice that coaches love about him, and there is. Game plan, understanding, coverage, execution, things like that that uh, us mere mortals cannot observe. Yeah. All right, buddy. Let's get into the plan. We've got a 7-8 game tomorrow night. That is Tuesday night. The best game of the four, without a doubt, it is the Clippers and the Timberwolves. And then on Wednesday night, we have got Spurs-Pelicans. Winner of Spurs-Pelicans, loser of Timberwolves-Clippers. They play on Friday. The winner of that game will play the Suns in Phoenix on Sunday. I went deep into this, Kevin. I think that there are only two teams, really, where you can eh, actually... This is where I'll start. I believe even further that the Clippers are without a doubt the toughest draw of these four teams for the Suns specifically. I think that it actually changes for a team like Memphis, in my opinion, based on matchups and stuff. But what I will say, Kevin, is what I've gleaned from all of this is that I don't really think there's that big of a difference between four through eight in the West. I really don't. I think this is actually a humongous break for the Suns if the Pelicans or Spurs actually manage to come out of this. Now, the Pelicans can give them issues, which we'll talk about, but to start with the Clippers, I was listening to Zach Lowe and Kevin Artemis on the way here kind of previewing the 7-8 the game, and something they, they were talking about, and Zach was talking about with Minnesota and L.A., was that, okay, Minnesota, 
like fairly new team together. They've never really played in like a physical playoff environment, and they're about to play the Clippers with like Marcus Morris and Nick Batum and Norman Powell and Robert Covington and Avika Zubach and Terrence Mann and Paul George. All these physical, gritty defensive players who are smart players too. I think that's the biggest thing that that I drew from the Clippers game. We can talk about Ty Lue's adjustments all we want, but the players have to execute them and they got a smart roster around them. Like they they know that's the same kind of marriage I think we've seen in terms of the players matching the coach uh, that we've seen here. And it's there in LA where they've got gritty tough defensive players. If Ty Lue wants to run 13 different coverages in the first quarter, those guys will do it. They can do it. They're yeah. fine. Reggie Jackson's in the mix there, too, as well. I forgot to mention him, of course. He was arguably, what, the third, Ooh. fourth, fifth best player in the Western Conference Finals overall between both teams. Like He was great in yeah. that series. He made a lot of big shots. And the in-season, Kevin, we got nothing to glean from because Paul George missed the first three games. The, first, the fourth game these two teams played, Sun sat everyone. That was when Norman Powell and Paul George pretty much played together for an the first time, I believe. Yeah. Is there any way you're looking at the Clippers and hesitating? The one thing that I drew in there is that when Paul George was out, we did not see a Cameron Johnson, Mikel Bridges equivalent, campaign equivalent, where someone on their roster was playing really great basketball, like Luke Kennard still averaging 11 points a game. It's just still a really bad offensive team <laughs> when Paul George is out, but he's back. Uh, is there any hesitation that you find in them not being the toughest draw? Any weaknesses that you really look at that make I, you reconsider? No, because I think that okay, they lost Pat Bev. Um, their wing group's better. Like, why wouldn't it be a tough series like the Western Conference Finals? Because they haven't played together, maybe. But um, yeah, I, I think that's easy. That's easy money. Like. I feel like that's a better team than the Mavs matchup wise against the Suns. Like they just match up really well. And Utah. And Utah. Probably Denver. Probably Denver. And Minnesota. Yeah. I think they're the toughest draw four through eight for them. I think they are. Yeah. I don't say that to scare Suns fans five games or less, like I said, for all four of these teams. I don't care. Um, But with that in mind, I think the main thing to watch for in the Minnesota in the first game, obviously, if the Clippers win, it doesn't matter. But if they lose, and then the next game, how is their offense flowing in terms of Paul George being top dog? Who else is stepping up beyond that? Because I wrote about this, that whole thing when Paul George was out, that wasn't Reggie Jackson averaging like 24 points a game or whatever like you might have expected. It wasn't anything like that. Jackson averaged 20 points a game in the Western Conference Finals. Norman Powell is that kind of guy that can average 20 points per game on this team. He just got here. He just got back from an injury a week ago. Not exactly a self-creator, necessarily. Robert Covington's been great because he's a perfect player for this team, but he's not offense, and where they have struggled all year is offense. But with that in mind, everything that we were talking about, they're a really good defensive team that does a lot of random stuff. And they have a lot of just gritty, tough players. And they have shot makers, too. I think that's the one thing to go back to the Western Conference Finals, things that we learned. One of the top of the list is you're talking about Reggie Jackson, Marcus Morris. Even Terrence Mann has kind of wiggled himself in there as guys who can hit tough shots. And now you had Norman Powell, who's one of those guys, too. I'm not going to put Robert Covington there. But Zubach is good. 
They've got this hard DA problems. A few games. Do you remember Isaiah Hardenstein from that draft and how we kind of looked at? We the, made jokes about him probably. I I liked him as just like the skill set, and now he's their, it's four or five years later. And as Lowe put it on the podcast, like he's just one of the best passing bigs in basketball right now. No one really knows about him, and I haven't seen much of him this year to be honest. But in the few games I've seen, it's. This is what it looks like when you put Frank Kaminsky, Dario Sarge-esque players in an offense that moves and has smart players who cut. And it's an anti-JaVale move, too, for them, because JaVale struggles to stretch things. So another little matchup quirk. Not quirk, but... They do weird stuff, like Batum just started that fourth game on campaign and picked him up full court, and then when the ball screen came, Batum just switched back to who he would have been guarding at the start of the possession. That's just the I one step I love those in. teams starting to do that. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's annoying stuff, and it's great. Uh, I don't know if I have much else to say. I, I still don't see it offensively to really go, but again, even if it goes four or five games, it'll be a tough four or five games. That's what I think it would be. Now... Minnesota or New Orleans, Kevin, because we sat here and talked about this last week. We've had more time to think about it. You and I both leaned New Orleans. I still lean New Orleans, but for a different reason uh, than we talked about last week. Where are you at? I'm still kind of New Orleans. Bad matchups across the board again for different reasons. Um, They're tough, man, and they will know what's coming they have been starting Jackson Hayes for the past month and a half. They okay. are one of the best rebounding teams in basketball. Yeah. So one of those games, I believe it was the third one, the one that the Suns lost, that was one of those offensive rebounding games where they had a bunch of offensive rebounds and Jackson Hayes was doing a lot of it. I think Jackson Hayes would get torn to shreds in whatever they're going to run offensively. I still lean New Orleans, though, because of what you're talking about. So they've been starting... Um, Low and Artemis kind of went over and some of the like the lineup numbers like outscoring like eight points per hundred possessions since this lineup came together, which is obviously really good. CJ a point, mm-hmm. and then they got big wings Ingram and Jones. Those are big dudes, uh, and then obviously Jackson Hayes and Jonas. Those are large men uh, for bigs. Really big lineup. So then stylistically, I think that the saving grace for them would be that Chris Paul can just guard Herb Jones and like you don't have to worry about Herb Jones. If they want to run ball screens for Herb Jones in the playoffs, <laughs> go ahead. It, yeah. Let the rookie from Alabama cook. But obviously Mikel on CJ is a huge saving grace of this matchup because I wrote about it in here. The dude's averaging nearly twenty five points per game, shooting nearly fifty percent. He has played like an all star. Like if he put up these numbers over the course of a full season next year in New Orleans, he's gonna be an all star. So with that in mind, Brandon Ingram, big, lanky. We've talked about this, the Harrison Barnes rule. Speaking of rules, the Harrison <laughs> Barnes rule. The 6'8", he's not, he makes up for the strength that we talk about with that in terms of how lanky and long he is. They don't really have a guy to guard him. Mikel Bridges is that guy technically, but Ingram is just bigger and longer than Mikel, which we can say about like seven other dudes in the can league Can Cam much. Johnson handle him? That's where you're going because... Yeah, that 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 is where that is where it could potentially go. But there's not a long list of bigs that that Mr. Ayton struggles with, and Jonas is one of them. Oh yeah, Jonas has his has his number for whatever reason it is. A lot of it has to do with how strong he is. But again, it's just that he's mostly just a post guy, and DeAndre normally does fine with those guys. But for whatever reason, Jonas has his number. Like I said, Jackson Hayes. 
sneaky pickup for them uh, that kind of went under the radar during the deadline, and then once it happened was getting Larry Nance Jr. in in those deals. He's just a good basketball player that's going to come off the bench for them. Is there going to be a game Devontae Graham scores 30 in? I don't know. (laughs) Um, And then again, Jones is an all-defense candidate for sure as a rookie. And that's at least going to be a mildly annoying for Paul or Booker to deal with. Now, will they? I like Najee Marshall too. Like they have some role guys. Trey Murphy's kind of putting it together. Jose Alvarado is one of the most fun new players to watch in the league over the last couple of years. He does this weird thing where I'm sure you've seen the viral clips, but when his team scores, he will go stand in the, the that corner. So he'll go to that baseline and stand in the corner and hide there near near the opposing bench or his bench. He'll just hide there, and then when the ball gets inbounded, he will sneak up behind the ball handler and poke it away. He's done it like seven or eight times this year, <laughs> and he's he's a good basketball player. Like that was T.J. McConnell is hurt. Someone has to do it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, he he's actually like he was a great find for them. Like New Orleans has quietly. The more that I looked at this and how much crap David Griffin was taking and all this kind of stuff. Like they've actually quietly, if you look at next year, especially with the Willie Green hire, because again, they were three and 16, one and 12 were their starts and something like that. Willie Green kept the team together. The CJ McCollum edition has been a huge win, like a huge win for them. And and since CJ got there, 28 games, they are eighth in offensive rating tied for 13th in defensive rating. That's a good team. And that's my favorite part of the playing, Kevin. It's for a lot of different reasons, but my favorite is that it rewards teams like this that would have never made the playoffs, but they're playing great basketball in the last 30 games. You can't make up for a 3-16 and 16 start and make the playoffs in a normal type of round when you're looking at a 500 team making it's the like, playoffs. It's like arguing about NCAA tournament teams where it's like, well, or college football playoff, I guess, too, and to some degree where it's like, well, what do they deserve because they've come on late and so-and-so's team got hurt? Like... Yeah, I, I think this week is fun. I like this week. So New Orleans, I st- I think that would be five games too. Yeah. I think that it would be five. But it would be a plucky five. It would be the second pluckiest yeah. five. Right behind them in a plucky five-game series, I think Minnesota. Yeah. Um, They're I right would there. I would pick five games for the Clippers. I I might go four with New Orleans if I watch that fourth game back. I would need to go back watch that final game back where they scored 30 in all four quarters because that might have been a we-know-how-to-score-on-you-guys moment for them. Uh, Minnesota just has too much talent, I think, to not win a playoff game in a series. Because Carl Anthony Towns is borderline top 10 player in the league. Anthony Edwards still kind of figuring it out defensively but it's like oh you're trying to be a good defender look at you doing we this were in worried your we were worried about him as a pick because he said i like basketball it's fine and yeah. i don't play defense <laughs> and it's like the ben simmons things or it's like no once like he cares once you get him coached in the nba he's there he's motivated he's good the two small game Carl Anthony Towns <laughs> dunking on Jay Crowder, indicating Jay Crowder is too small, celebrating for 15 <laughs> seconds, followed by Devin Booker screaming towards his bench, he said. But it looked like D'Angelo Russell was in the way of the bench when he screamed as well. The good friends uh, sharing some banter uh, is what I took it as, at least. Just banter, yeah. Just some good old fun banter. Nothing very wrong clean, with some banter. banter. They scored 74 points in that second half and mm. just obliterated them and were like, uh-uh. You think you're going <laughs> to punk us? This is not the, how it works. The funniest thing about that is like the Suns are like the team that will keep being pissed off about it 
like a month later when they mean the playoffs or whatever <laughs> like yeah that's why i have them third too because there's an extra edge that minnesota would bring out of this phoenix team that patrick beverly would create on his own oh yeah he's yeah he irritated them in the western conference finals that was a big big series that was inexperienced starting to show a little bit with how he rattled some of the guys that's not going to happen this time around i would Andrew be very surprised also yeah with the questionable play I'm sure they know that. You know who is not as good as the Suns bench? The Spurs starters? And that- Minnesota's bench, too. Okay. Both of them, really, which is the case <laughs> for both of these teams. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I Look, I sat here on this podcast in that terrible draft class that I thought was terrible and said Jalen Noel could be an NBA player, and I'm, I'm thriving off my stock. <laughs> I've got a nice little two-bedroom. What was it? Laid up they, over there. Uh, who did they have? It was Greg Monroe or something who didn't know he existed, and then he signed a 10-day deal, and Jalen Noel scored like 20. He's like, yeah, I didn't know who Jalen Noel was, but <laughs> I, I saw him play today for my team, and he was very good. Very good indeed. Uh, but yeah, it gets kind of rough around there because Josh Okogie's been in and out of the rotation. I believe he's out now. Uh, Jaden McDaniels is coming back or something i don't why, know i think he is back okay uh really long wiry him and i i love jared vanderbilt he's cool as the four um it also wouldn't work for them offensively i fear i fear look he can be as smart of a cutter as you want and a dive man and, and play in that spot but unless cat is going to shoot 11 threes a game and they're going to have that man in the dunker spot the whole time uh the suns will expose a non-shooter being out there unless he's going to start shooting and you know who wants him to shoot in that series the phoenix suns they want him to shoot so now we're at a point of no return i believe and again they'll just they'll cheat off vanderbilt a little bit do their fast recoveries on defense and be fine so that that to me is is one of those things i think d'lo as well and anthony edwards is a defensive backcourt still leave a little bit to be desired. I think that they've been much better and play a huge part in this team being okay defensively. But with that in mind, Chris Paul and Devin Booker, that's that's tough. Pat Bevel do stuff, but that's tough. Yeah. Should we even talk about the Spurs? DeJounte Murray's great player. Hot take? Would yeah. you say DeJounte Murray is one of the three best players on these four teams combined? So we've got Paul George and Carl Anthony Towns. Would you say he's the third best player of those guys? No, CJ's still there. Okay. I think he's better than CJ. That's fair. I think DeJounte is awesome. I, yeah. I think that he is a tier below book right now, but is just the clear They need to get some dudes to pass, too. He is the clear multi-time all-star in the waiting, just waiting for talent to get around him. And it's some intriguing guys, like I wrote. Devin Vassell is good. Teams want guys like that. Same with Keldon Johnson. Are any of those guys part of a big three? No. They have role players. Maybe Keldon? Keldon is... Keldon's pretty good. Keldon's underrated, one of the yeah, more underrated yeah. players in the league as well. Like maybe he was a big my MVP three. on Team USA, but going in because they were playing like trash. Oh, I loved that. That was he, a bad take. Probably he was everyone's little brother on that team. Every time you watched a, like a locker room video, he was just like screaming or something, or just like yelling in someone's ear, being annoying. Yeah, it was great. Um, I, I like Keldon's game a lot, but if we're looking at like a legitimate playoff series, which is what we are, that's where I star worry, power. Especially. Yeah. DeJounte got a little bit of experience on those older, younger, when he was younger on those Spurs teams, the core before this one with DeMar and LaMarcus Aldridge. 
And then Pirtle's got some experience as well, but outside of that, they don't have a ton. Just like New Orleans with all those guys we mentioned, half their rotation essentially is going to be making their playoff debuts, and a lot of them are still rather young. I don't really like that. I, I think the Spurs... I think the Spurs would just get smoked. I think it would just be four games. Yeah. I want to be I want to give them some credit for hanging around in all four regular season meetings, but how much credit do you deserve for hanging around a game when you just get smoked Suns once the game's would have to late. go a full game of just sleepwalking and thinking they're going to get in it and then just not. Which, you know, that happens, but in the first Smoke them in the playoffs. first two games, game 3 in San Antonio, you're down 18 in the second quarter. What's going on? Kind of vibes. Yeah. Yeah, that that would have to be it really. As you can tell, we are rather confident about the first round uh, that they got. By the way, we should say before we go, great break for them in the standings. Uh, Golden State 3, Memphis 2, Dallas or Utah at 4 or 5 will be waiting for them in the next round. Utah, a... I think they would, my hot take on Utah is they would be a stingier, I don't know if this is a hot take because of how easily they handled Denver, but they would be a stingier matchup for them in the second round compared to Denver last year. I think they caught a real break in Denver last year, to be honest. With that in mind, I I think that the Dallas situation, Lucas strained calf. We don't really know how we're going to figure out later today, it sounds like, from Tim McMahon, but it did not look good if you saw it. It did not look good at all. And then 2-3, you look at like the 2-3 and then other matchups. Like If the Clippers win tonight, I think what Suns fans should be rooting for is the Clippers not only not to... You think about it as a Suns fan... We don't want to play the Clippers. The Clippers need to win Tuesday night. If they win, Memphis has to deal with them. So now Memphis has that as their first playoff series, and then they probably play Golden State, but I'm not so sure, Kevin, because Denver plays them well. Jokic has been a pain it's for them. It's one of those where it's like, do you want to play the Clippers sooner or maybe not at all? Or if you do play them, they might have Kawhi back, but I have no idea. If, I have no, I don't know. I'm Just sick. worry about what's in front of you, man. That's I, what the, they say about life. I'm sticking by the pick that I made on here a month ago. I'm the person saying, sitting here saying five games or less for the Clippers. I still think it's going to be the Clippers that come out the other side. Of even if they win and get seven? They win and get seven. They beat Memphis. They beat Golden State or Denver. I think that's going to happen. Yep. That's a good take. You should put that on Twitter. No. <laughs> that's what podcasts are You hide are for. it at the very back end of the pod, yeah. Yeah. of the people who listen to this are listening still. We're here. We appreciate it. I don't know what our retention rate is, but that's a good guess, I think. I don't know. Yeah, I just think everything we talked about with how they give the the Suns fits, they would give a similar Memphis team with how balanced they are and all that kind of stuff. And Memphis is a team like, oh, we've got 10 guys. And the Clippers are like, oh, we've got 10 guys. Now what? (laughs) (laughs) What happens here? That's probably uh, sleeping on job, but again, is there anyone out there who knows if John Moran is 100%? Is there anyone out there who knows Steph Curry is 100% right now? I don't know. I don't think we know. Draymond looking better. Clay yeah. looking better. It's going to be interesting. Is Desmond Bay 20 points per game in the playoffs? First season where the West or East, what, had a better record over the West since like 2005 or something like that. There's parity in the West. It's just a matter of whether the context of why the Clippers, why the Warriors didn't have the greatest of seasons. Can I get one prediction from you on Memphis? Over under two and a half playoff games we see when we're in the second quarter, or sorry, over under 
two and a half games where in the second half of a game and Dylan Brooks is shooting too much. Like he needs to get stop shooting, give Jaw the ball. Over. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. That's been waiting there for a bit. We haven't seen it in high leverage situations yet. It's about to come. And me, Kevin, you can see the smile on face. I can't wait. I'm so excited. Like not for <laughs> not to root for another team's downfall or any team's downfall for that matter. But I'm I love overconfidence guys and yeah. just like uh, who um, Jordan Clarkson on Cleveland. It's Jordan Clarkson time. LeBron's on the floor. I don't care. It's Jordan Clarkson time. <laughs> I love that. My stuff. wife is like I don't like Dylan Brooks <laughs> and I was like do you remember uh when he was on Oregon they played Arizona and yeah. you didn't like him either and she's like oh really and I was like yeah it's the same guy and she just like disliked him at two different points and didn't realize it is Kawhi coming back yes or no final Western Conference prediction no <laughs> no of course not <laughs> but Again, it's the same as last year where no one knows anything. So there's like this, there's so much mystery around him that people are starting to turn themselves optimistic. And then he's out there shooting I mean, after a practice, but then he tells the media over there that they can't record him shooting. It's like a year, usually. Let's say you fast track that to nine months. Yeah, maybe he's getting there, but. That would be really interesting if he came back like middle of Western Conference semis and then we get Suns Clippers and it's Paul George and Kawhi. That would be a heck oh, of that yeah. would be a I know Golden State at their apex is like a really great series, obviously, or Golden State, but I think that Golden State team's just not there this year. I don't think Memphis is ready, but that Clippers team, if like Kawhi came back at some point and they got out of there, Ratings. that would be Ooh-wee. awesome. Yeah. That would be great. Uh you good? Should we promote our things we're working on? Yeah, ArizonaSports.com, uh, Lessons Learned series. I've looked back on the postseason. I really like Part 3, which is going to be out, I think, tomorrow. It's basically my love letter to this team and how their style of basketball and how balanced they are, their roster construction, just how beautiful it all works together in synchronicity. I wrote about that being a thing in the playoffs and then other stuff that's coming. We are going to speak with Dario Sarge, I believe, at some point this week. People waiting for a Dario update. Um, I don't know if it's going to be a Dario update necessarily, but he's been around all year, and, and that's been great to see in terms of him just being around all year in, in that kind of way because guys can rehab away. He's there. Uh, and then we're going to have playing previews. We talked playing preview here. I told you, Friday night when the game's over, we are planning to podcast, and we should get one in on Friday or Saturday to briefly talk about the series a little bit. When we're not talking, brother, I'm going to be cranking back Diet Dr. Peppers and getting some previews done because I want to still preview a playoff series, and I'm going to do it even in 48 hours, brother. I'm going to get it done. Anything for you to promote? Karloftis, oh, Hive? Oh, I'm doing a uh, six for uh, moments that shaped the Suns team to get here, so it's just kind of a look back on That's how cool. they're here because they won a lot of games, and I might do a power rankings, just circle back on the full Western Conference playoff field and see who, how they match up against the Suns because it's different than it was like two weeks ago when I did that, but yeah. 30 seconds, Eastern Conference pick. Bucks. Ooh, thinking Boston. But... Well, I said he last time, but that man, oh, yeah. that man Bam is I in the protocols I... now, and now eh, I'm scared. It's fine. I should, it should protocols be Protocols could be like three days okay. now. I'll stick it's with fine. the heat. You're yeah. right. I need to stick by my You're, guns. Yeah. Yeah, heat. You're good. Suns and six over the Clippers and West Conference Finals. Suns and six over the Heat in the Finals. That's my pick. There I'll think about it before I make a pick. But We'll get there Saturday, brother. You have you plenty of time it. to think about it. Thanks, everyone, as always, for listening. I've been holding Kevin hostage. He has to go do big meetings that he has to do as big lead editor, man. Uh, and I am going to go sleep because I'm going to need it for the next uh, couple of months. Thank you. See you, everyone.